0: What's going on, Ramesh? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this world. Welcome to the Maintenance Community Podcast. It's a podcast for people who love maintenance. In this episode, we're going to be reviewing some questions submitted by our members in the Maintenance Community Slack group. We're going to hear from some of our insights and answer questions from one of our experts in residence here, and also the reliability Sherpa himself, Ramesh Gulati. Ramesh, thank you so much for for joining us. I really appreciate it.
1: No problem, Ryan. I enjoy. Again, greetings to everyone, wherever you are.
0: Thank you, as always, Ramesh, for being such a great driving force, for driving you know better education in this entire industry. Just before we get started into answering all the questions from our community, I want to give a quick brief background into anyone who hasn't joined our community just yet. The Maintenance Community Slack Group is an awesome place for people in maintenance reliability in our industry to ask questions and learn from over 4,500 professionals all around the world. If you haven't already, you can actually join the Maintenance Community Slack Group at upkeep.org slash slack. And there you'll join this community filled with a ton of other uh, industry professionals where, again, you can connect with others and learn from others. Today, Ramesh and I are super excited to do a deep dive into real questions asked by our community members within our Slack group. So again, if you haven't already, feel free to join. What I personally love so much about the Maintenance Community Slack group is that these topics span everything from high-level questions to ground-level problem solving. These questions were sourced from our community, and I'm super excited to dig in and hear your take, Ramesh, on some of these real-life questions from our community members. So if you're ready...
1: Yes, let's (laughs) go.
0: All right. So let's jump right in. The first question that was brought up was asked by Christine, who asked, as it relates to OSHA and NFPA 70E requirements, how do you choose a partner for training and education on inspections and assessments? What are your thoughts, Ramesh?
1: Good question. I think first thing you can do is go to OSHA.org or nfpa.org. Both are great resource sites, you can get a lot of information, what to train, how to train. And in fact, NFPSI give you some on-site, inside training also. You know, and, and you can Google it. You can find a lot of companies are available there who can do. And based on your needs, what you want to do, how big you are, how small, you can find companies who can do. My company, I used to work, Jacobs, has done a lot of training in this area too. Again, as I said, go to NFPS site or OSHA site. They have a lot of resources available and you can find that what kind of training you want and who can partner who there's a list of other companies also who are available. Okay.
0: You know, maybe stemming off of Christine's question around you know OSHA requirements, I think a big question that a lot of our communities members have is like obviously all of us know that safety is a really important factor within their business. But I think you're to your point like it kind of depends on the size of your business, how big you are, what industry right. you're in. Any recommendations on uh, yeah, choosing the right partner, you know, are you, if you're a big if you're a big customer, if you have a big company, depending on if you're oil and gas versus manufacturing versus, you know, a general facility.
1: Again, if you're a large company, usually you have a safety department or your HR department, they have people who do these kind of they understand it and they can find you right people to train. But if you are small, I think usually problem comes in. You are not big enough. You are not that big that you have a separate safety department or HR department who are knowledgeable in this area. Okay, that's the mostly problem comes. That time you need some help. Okay, so usually when I do or uh, training, and we have done a training and we usually go to. First is we have to read the what are the requirements OSHA, go there their website try to find out what we have to comply with and what kind of training or our people skill set we have what kind of training we lack we have to find out really where our people are and we have to go to fundamentals or we have to advance. like NFPA is a much more broader area you know you have to really read the requirements you know, what are the requirements, what kind of equipment you have, and then come up with what kind of training you need. And you may have to talk to a few people. Usually you talk to some vendors, find out hey what kind of training they provide and how much it's going to cost and those kind of things. So it depends upon your size of the company, how big, who's how small, what kind of equipment you have, and that will determine your needs. And then you have to find the right training partner to the training.
0: All right, second question of the day. We got one from Hank. He asks, how else do you track the TVM failure, corrective action, and resource time?
1: I was looking at this question, and I was a little bit puzzled with TVM. And I thought, oh, thank you very much. Or what TVM stands for? is <laughs> that <laughs> time value money. But so I didn't know. But I think it's a good question. How do you want to track failures and corrective actions? And what's the resource time? again anytime you have a failure you're going to create a work order for that failure and code it as a failure is a breakdown you know you have to code that and that's another question coding structure and then create a follow-up work order what you're going to do on it you know what you did on it and that's your corrective action so then you're going to say hey this is a failure work order and this is a corrective action for that work order so that's again also you know once you have done then you also need to get all the information, what parts you use, how much that parts cost. So you may have, or what your system may have to go to different systems, which your maybe financial system, store system or something, get that information. And then you can say, hey, how much that work order or repair costed me. So you have to get all that information. And that should be again in your CMMS system you upkeep or whatever, it should be there. You can get that.
0: So basically it's all on your CMS, create That's a work right. order That's for right. the failure, code failures, create corrective work orders as well, and then just track every single you know, dollar that was spent on parts, track every hour that was spent on repairs, That's and be right. able to have that analytics dashboard that rolls everything up so you can look at it from a you know, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual view.
1: I want to just a caution on cost part. This was many, many years ago. I think most of CMMS has collected. Many years ago, they used to have an average value of the first, like you have a mechanic or electrician. What they do every start of the year, they put an average cost there so that you can get quick cost. But now it should be, really they should go to financial system, get who person worked on it, what the real cost was. But some company has a, privacy issues so they don't give that information easily okay? so that's the issue you have to think uh, you have to find out how that cost is that in the system what's the real cost is it average cost per person of for that labor or is it actual cost of that person so it depends upon your system because there's a, some system give you a little bit uh, you should know what's is there
0: All right. we got another question from Aireet. In your book, Maintenance and Reliability Best Practices, you imply that operating time includes repair time. This was an example on page 318. Can you clarify this statement?
1: There is an assumption made that your repair time is small enough. It's not significant enough for operating time. So I'm ignoring it for sake of simplicity. And let me give you some examples. Like, let's see if we have a operating hours of 100,000 hours and we have 10 failures, roughly speaking, and we have a 50 hours of repair time. Yeah. Let, roughly yeah. speaking, because 1,000 divided by 10, our MTBF is 100. Really is mean time between failure is time between each of these failures, average. So now average time between failures is really, if are take 1,000 minus 50, 950 hours, Divided by 10, so 95. there is a 5% difference in calculating MTBF. But key thing is, whatever way you decide, whatever assumption you have made, try to follow that all the time. In our maintenance area, we are trending the data. As long as our MTBF is trending upward, we are doing good. So at 95, 100, this is a very, it's not much. So it doesn't make it. So I'm the simplest guy, maintenance guy, so I don't, I want to minimize my calculations, so I say, "Hey, I got an operating time, a thousand hours. I got ten period, thousand divided by ten, hundred hours of MTBF. Yeah, you know, it's a ninety-seven or one or two. Is that not much going to make any difference?"
0: So what I hear from that is, you know, when calculating MTB, MTBF, the the repair time is generally pretty nominal when it relates yeah. to the total operating time. The most correct way is sure subtract out repair time from operating time, but what I hear from you is what you should care most about is keeping it consistent and yes. measure it and make sure that it's going up over time.
1: <laughs> That's right. MTBF should be going up.
0: This next question came from beno Why is yes. OEE, overall equipment effectiveness, required to conduct RCM analysis? If OEE is less than 75%, should we, and do we still conduct this RCM analysis? Is it worth it?
1: OEE and RCM, two different things. RCM is a process, a disciplined process, systematic process to establish appropriate maintenance plans to minimize failures. Where RC, you know, RCM we do to help come up an effective preventive maintenance program to reduce our total cost of maintenance. Where OE, overall equipment effectiveness, is a production metric yeah. to help us to improve the productivity. And it consists of three factors. Availability, performance and quality. So we have to calculate availability of the system, the performance of the system and quality of system and multiply that and that is OEE. Nothing has to do with RCM process, okay? And if you have my book, Material Ability Best Practices, read chapter seven, which talks about operations role and talks about OEE, overall equipment effectiveness. And chapter eight, is on PM optimization, which talks about RCM. So these are two different process. They are not like that, hey, if my OEE is 75%, I have to do RCM. Really is if your OEE is less, is not a desirable level, 75 or 60 or 70, then you have to look all these three factors. Which factor is giving you a problem? Is availability or is the performance or quality? Whichever factor is not giving your desired results is low, that's what you have to start digging in, and that's what, you, what you're gonna do. It's availability, yeah. Then you have to look, hey, why my availability, my uptimes are low. Is your, a lot of you have downtime, you may have to improve your PMs or whatever. So you have to look each factor in case your OE is low, and whichever that factor is, then you have to go in more detail, find how you can improve that.
0: All right, Vinoth also asked, is RAM analysis interlinked with RCM? What's the differences between the two and how are they joined together? Will RCM help fix the required critical spare parts? Do you use RCM to, to help you know, with parts and procurement?
1: RCM, as I said, is a more systematic disciplined process to come up with what's your maintenance plan should be, what we should be doing, okay? Where RAM analysis is, RAM stands for reliability, availability, and maintainability. Availability is a function of reliability and maintainability, because reliability is equal to uptime or uptime plus downtime or MTBF over MTBF plus MTTR. So availability is a function, how is the reliability is related to maintainability? Okay, You do reliability RAM analysis which identifies component or your system, which is failing a lot, how it affects our facility availability. So you do perform RAM analysis. Most of the time you do RAM analysis at design phases, try to find how the system component can fail. Or also after you got it, you have some data on real data, on those components or assets. And then you do ram analysis. Hey, which asset is giving you a problem? Their reliability is low, or maintainability is low. How you can improve it? Best time to do ram analysis is during once you have done the design to find the problems. Which asset is giving you a more a lower reliability, and how you can by replacing better component you can improve the reliability. And then once you got on the floor is operating then also you do RAM analysis to find which asset you need to be. We have done. We had an overall plan or by asset, complex asset. We do RAM analysis, trying, you need to have RAM analysis, you need to have a MTBF number, MTTR number. So based on, and there's a lot of software available, you can use those to do the RAM analysis.
0: Another question from our community: How can someone get the ISO fifty five oh oh one certification, and what are the requirements? What study materials are needed to pass the certification?
1: Fifty five thousand is a management standard. It's not individual standard. Other standards could be somehow. a Person, maybe there is a confusion. C R E or C R L or C M R P. Those are individual performance skill set. Do you have? That's what they assess your knowledge. Where 55,000 is asset management standard at top level. Those are get certified. Your whole plan or your department or your site, that gets certified. What that means, you have to go and get a 55,000 standard, read it. 55,001 has clauses, sections. And there are 10 sections, three are common. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, are you meeting those requirements or not? So you have to set up your process to meet those requirements. Example, ISO 55,000 is a very generic standard. It's applicable to small to large organization or whatever kind of a, you are making manufacturing something, you are delivering some uh, services, or you are in financial, you can be anybody and you can get certified. But you have, to meet, you have to tell the standard, means the system, that what you make, how you make, if you don't make whatever your service are, and how you do that, what kind of equipment you have, and then what your needs are for next three, four, five, six years, and what's the gap? How you want to make improvement to your process to meet that gap? Finally, you have to get an auditor. If you again want to get certified, Again, you don't need to be get certified as long as you're happy with it. But if it's nice to have, get your process certified, means you have to get some money from different uh, their registrar companies out there. That's their job, they'll come and audit your process and then they will recommend you to get
0: certified. So maybe a question for you, uh, just from this question, um, Ramesh, is it worth it to get certified? I mean, you know, like we know, 55,000 is more of a management best practices. There are some benefits to getting certified, having the auditor come. Is it worth it?
1: You don't have to get certification, okay? Yeah. But what happens in my case, my experience, you know, auditor will come every six months, I'm talking about 2004, five time frame when we got certified in our process. That time there was not 55,000. We took 9001 and modified it with our auditor company DNV and we did that. Okay. Now, what was happening is, oh, he's going to come in October or September, let's say. This is June already, July. I have to get ready, look into what improvements we have made. You know, we have to start thinking what improvements and what improvement you gonna do next time? So every time he's coming, we have to say, hey, what improvements? How we are to reduce a failure? How we had to improve the PM optimization? What was our plan? He's gonna ask those questions, okay? So I think it helps you to recreate really a discipline in your process, in our mindset. And much, it was tough for us for the first two three years, but once our people got it boy, it was no sweat. Initially, it looks like it's a or something, but I think the whole process, it creates a discipline in your mindset, in your process.
0: All right. Next question came in anonymously as well. What can one do when the leadership of one's organization sees reliability as burden and too costly?
1: Is that leadership plays a very, very key role in uh, implementing best practices, standards, all those kind of things. Changing that mindset is not easy. Every place I go is a big issue. And especially I found this is not a joke. It's not, it's a truth. Your own people won't listen to you. You have to bring someone from outside mm-hmm. to talk to them. The, all my other friends have done, they got me in their place and I get them to my place these expert industry experts talk to my management. What is the best practice, way to go, what to do? Again, you have to educate them. I have taken my bosses forcefully to conferences to go and talk to the people, go to benchmarking trips. It takes time. It's not gonna happen overnight. It's a long journey. And that's a kind of creating a right culture
0: maybe I'll add in a little bit of a different spin to this I actually think leadership in every single organization does see reliability as an extremely important factor within their business if you ask any leader within you know our operations team they're going to say reliability uptime is critically important to their business I think where the point comes from where it's burdensome and costly is is oftentimes everyone has their own opinion of how to approach reliability and everyone has a different prioritization list of what's important, what's the most important, what's least important. And I think the reason why it's so important we're oftentimes very helpful to bring in a third party or a consultant into the business is because there are so many different opinions. The third party consultant is able to like capture all the different opinions from everyone and bring it into like a cohesive plan that's theoretically unbiased.
1: You are right. Again, I think talk management, the talk management is easy. They understand it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, you have to just tell the few things they understand. Problem comes at below middle level. That's what mostly mm-hmm. problem challenges are. Also maintenance, I call this a lot of times. Maintenance now I got, now they got a seat at the boardroom. In the past, Maintenance was ignored is a necessary, unnecessary evil. Okay, you give some money, they'll take care of our equipment. I think that mindset is changing now. I've seen big improvement in the top management thinking, how they see the maintenance. There are the cost center. They help you to increase the productivity and the bottom line.
0: All right, next question comes from an anonymous uh, submitter here. They ask, what comes first, asset management or reliability? I've seen the terms used interchangeably. <laughs> There's so many different directions this question can go. <laughs> Ramesh, where do you want to take it? <laughs>
1: okay, three things. Maintenance, reliability, and asset management. All three things are different things. Okay. Maintenance is to keep asset running today. is right now current. I have to run this equipment running, okay, where reliability looks into ensuring that that asset runs tomorrow and day after tomorrow, okay, near future sort of a thing with less failures. That's what our emphasis focuses less failures, reduce failures, okay, where asset management is that asset runs effectively for a long time, and also by reducing the total operating cost, mm-hmm. or total cost of ownership, or nowadays we call it TOTEX, right? So how we can reduce the total cost of ownership and run this asset more effectively. So there's a big difference in these three things. And there's nothing who comes first. We have major runs for today. Reliability is making ensuring that it runs tomorrow, day after tomorrow, with less failures. And where asset management look at the overall life cycle of asset, how we can reduce the total cost of ownership and get more value from our asset.
0: And, and I, I think what I also hear from you is, you know, it's not one before the other. It's no. You know, the, these are three things that you look at in parallel. Yes. All right. One last question from the note. He asked, how can you fix the dominant failure mode and how do you follow the ISO 14224 code or the CMMS failure history?
1: Failure mode is a cause of failure. It may have a, some asset may have multiple type of failure modes. Dominant failure modes are those failure modes, which are responsible for significant proportion of those failure cycles. Okay? Those are to me are dominant failures. Now, 14224 is a standard, which really help us to establish our asset hierarchy, taxonomy, also setting up our data structure. That standard also has a some standard coding support. Hey, you can code failure codes by this. They have, give you some guidelines there. If failure modes, you know, how do you find the asset, those kind of things. So yes, if really read that one, 4224. it helps you to set up your data structure, taxonomy, the word, how to use those as a numbering scheme, whatever scheme you're doing. Once you have done that properly, then you can pull out the data from your CMMS system properly. Then mm-hmm. you can say, hey, which failure modes are causing you the problem and what you have to do. You need to set up your, by reading 142.24, help you and again doesn't matter you how you say try to set up properly so it makes sense to you and what's good for you standards are there to help those are best practices but you have to change small you know based on your environment okay how you are where you are and what your processes are so you can make small changes here there And to, to me setting up the right structure data structure, right hierarchy, you know, taxonomy, uh, very, very important. And we went to, I went to back in the 80s on those things. Uh, and if you don't do right, you cannot pull out the data from your CMM system properly.
0: All right. And that kind of concludes today's session from all the questions that we source from our, our community. Ramesh, thank you so much for taking the time to answer all the questions from From our community members if any of our listeners want to receive answers to all of their questions as well anything related to maintenance reliability feel free to join our slack community at upkeep.org slack you can receive live answers from fellow members or you can also hear from ramesh himself in our monthly roundup again my name is ryan i'm the ceo and founder of upkeep thank you again ramesh and i hope to talk to you next time
1: thank you guys and take care
0: bye